Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Legendarium Green Team. Today we're going to be doing a review of Gardens of the Moon by Steven Erickson. I am your host, Asherman. I am joined today by The Solution. Hey everyone. Befuddled Panda. Hello everybody. And making his debut on the podcast, Red Army Ian. Hello, hello. Good to be here. We are going to be starting out with a non-spoiler discussion before moving into spoiler-heavy talk, so if you haven't picked up the book yet, make sure to dip out once we issue the warning. If you haven't read the series and are curious on how to approach it, we recommend listening to our Malazan Primer episode. Without further ado, I will start into the questions. Um, there is one thing, which is we didn't give a synopsis of what Gardens is about. Should we? Uh... <laughs> let's Here, Ash, let's challenge you to sum up the book in one sentence. Um, you can do that. God. On the spot, too. Gardens <laughs> of the Moon is a story that has a beginning, middle, and an end. <laughs> and things happen. And God, I don't think I don't think I can even give a synopsis to this book. Uh, there is. Do you want there... us to try? That's probably okay. Yeah, hit me with your best one sentence, ten word description of this book. Ten words? Ten words? Yeah. How did you turn that fast enough? I'm hitting you with another, another description. I, mean, I could do a run-on <laughs> sentence, but... Uh... Who wants to go first? How about oh, a make group sure of soldiers? <laughs> um, oh, man. So four, you got yes, six more. A group more. of soldiers head on their way to conquer a city. If you go down to the bare bones of it, that's what it is, right? That's the Empire good. is yeah. trying to take over the city. But that hardly... <laughs> Sums it up. That could be <laughs> any fantasy a book. <laughs> a character-driven story about sacrifice and really good action. Very good. Okay. <laughs> I like that. She's a word under, even. Um, I'm going to go with a series of events with good people and bad people. That sums up every Excellent. story ever. <laughs> yeah, no, we got to get synopsis of Gardens of the Moon in. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, Panda, what did you think about the world building? It was confusing, not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff um, where, you know, you kind of just read it and you kind of just have to trust that things will get explained, but they don't always get explained in depth. Um, and since it's a series, I just figured, well, it'll get explained later on, and I just need to be patient. So um, I came to terms with it pretty quickly that I wasn't going to understand everything that I was reading, um, mostly because I'd spoken to you, Ash, and Huron, um, in preparing uh, to read the series. And I do think that not knowing everything in the first book will make reading the the later books a bit more enjoyable because then I'll be able to like piece together or like connect the dots um, of things that I've read before and then, you know, having more meaning later on. Yeah. Yeah, it also makes rereads very enjoyable. I, I'm noticing this now because on on this read now, I I know everything that's going on. I can see him setting and setting up and seeding things throughout the book, and it's it's very fun. Uh, Soul, what do you think? Uh, it's huge. Uh, <laughs> I definitely feel like we haven't scratched the surface yet as far as the first book, and 
I just, I love the different races and how many there are and how the backgrounds go really in depth, which is really cool. Uh, Ian, what are your thoughts? I honestly love the role building. I think that it's probably the biggest um, check mark for this book for me. Um, the What I really like for the world building is the geography is great. Like you get the sense that the world is huge. There's continents everywhere. Even though we're focused on this one continent, you get bigger sense of what's out there. The politics I found really interesting. And like Sol said, this all the different species, they're, they're unique species. They're not like the same standard elves and stuff. Uh, the magic system and lore is confusing as all else. <laughs> like it is crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, like what the heck are Warrens? I think we can get into that question uh-huh. a little bit later, but, <laughs> but I was warned when I went into the series that there's going to, to accept that there's going to be things I don't understand when I start reading it. And I did that. And I think that's the way to approach it. It's just, you won't get everything. Just go with the flow and there you go. I will say that, um, even though there were confusing things like what the heck is a Warren, um, there were definitely concrete details and things that I could grasp that grounded me that, you know, I wasn't completely lost. Yeah, there were things where you're like, oh, what's the history of this? What's the history of that? You know, what's the backstory of this person? But it wasn't, it didn't deter my, or sorry, it didn't hinder my enjoyment of the story, you know, not having yeah, all the not details. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think mindset is super important when going to Malazan for a lot of reasons, but especially world building because it it he keeps it so he drip feeds you a lot of stuff and you have to do a lot of piecing things together on your own. Whereas in most fantasy series, you just get outright told this is the thing, this is how the thing works. Uh, Erickson doesn't really do that. And to Soul's point, I actually I actually really agree. I think the world in Malazan really feels lived in, and I think it's one of its biggest strengths. Uh, like obviously the gold standard is Middle Earth, and I think <laughs> Erickson definitely at least comes close to that kind of depth uh, in his stories. Yeah, which is not easy to do. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> tough. Middle Earth, Middle Earth is a pretty high standard to reach, but mm-hmm. he definitely gives it his all. Yeah. Does yeah. Erickson come up with his own language or languages? No, he doesn't go that far. Oh, okay. <laughs> he doesn't I mean, have it would that be cool Tolkien's did, but... yeah. He doesn't have Tolkien's love of like semantics and everything like that. Uh, <laughs> but he, I think, makes up for it for his with his love of archaeology and like just mm-hmm. the sheer history of what things are. Mm-hmm. Things are. Yeah, anthropology. All right, let's move on to pacing. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Uh, we'll start with uh, Ian, I think. I actually thought the the story moves really well. It always feels like there is something happening, whether that's it's a character building moment or whether it's something happening with the plot and the action itself. Every scene you come across feels like it's there for a purpose, uh, which is is what carries you through, right? The fact and you know that it means a purpose as you're reading it, which which is really helpful. The action scenes, they don't feel overstay their welcome because I have that problem with some books including a certain mm-hmm. popular book that just came out at the end of last year that I had some <laughs> issues with the action of that, but they don't ever say they're well. Sometimes it's confusing. <laughs> that would be it. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little confusing exactly what's happening. Like, uh, well, there's a particular scene I'm sure we'll talk about in the spoiler section, but for the most part, I think the action is concise and mostly clear. And I've, I thought it moved the story along quite nicely. 
Yeah, I feel like there's very little filler that he puts in Gardens of the Moon. He he's mentioned how he wrote it like a short story with brevity in mind, which is funny considering it's like 800 pages. Uh, <laughs> and I think I think that really does show through when you read the book. Like I like I don't know what you could really cut except for like a couple of the crocus scenes, maybe. I don't know. So what are your thoughts? I feel like because I went in knowing that I'm not supposed to know everything, that yes, you actually could cut some things and I'd be fine with it. But then once you finish the entire book and you have the scope of all these different characters all taking a part in this like big plot, I feel like maybe you couldn't. I don't know. Like it was a confusing pacing issue for me. Like I thought maybe it was paced not badly or poorly, but maybe just average. But I think that's just me adapting to uh, his writing style and this large scope for a first book. So I don't, I don't know if I can really put too much input on that. Panda. Hmm. So even though we did the whole Malazan primer, um, I didn't actually know the structure of the storytelling going in. But basically, uh, back to what you were saying, Ashamon, that Erickson wrote this like short stories. The scenes really are like little vignettes, little short stories. And so they were pretty bite-sized um, and kept me turning the pages. But there's, you know, like continuity and they all play into a larger arc. Um, I really liked it. It was also, there's that that mystery because you you aren't being given a lot of info dump. I wanted to keep reading to see what other details he was going to reveal to the reader. And so, yeah, I really liked the pacing. Um, I was worried that I was going to be really slow in getting through gardens because of the density, but uh, I, I sh- didn't really need to worry. If I weren't taking notes for the podcast, I probably would have finished it within a week with, you know, like pacing myself and taking notes for the podcast. It was about three weeks to finish. Yeah, I definitely I definitely sympathize with that. Uh, I had to very carefully ration my reading of the book so I didn't finish <laughs> it too quickly. Uh, I left it like the a couple days before the recording every time just so I could have it fresh in my mind that third of the book. I also think it's interesting how he plays around with the structure of the book a little bit. It's not it's not anything too crazy, but he does have some nonlinear elements in there, um, as well as characters hitting their uh, the climax of their arcs before the end in some interesting ways. Yeah, he's it's definitely not your standard fare. And while he does have the idea of convergence at the end, which is similar to the the big resounding climax that we have in fantasy nowadays, it's not quite analogous to the sander lanch that has become so famous in my opinion oh (laughs) there is one thing which is um because there are multiple points of views in the book and the way he wrote it is within each chapter you get multiple points of views it's not like only one point of view per chapter i actually really appreciated that because it when I've read other books where it was like one chapter or maybe a couple of consecutive chapters is only one point of view and then you switch to another point of view for another few chapters, it can be pretty jarring and you're kind of like, I don't know, it just like breaks up the momentum of my reading. Whereas with him, because his switches are so fluid, um, it didn't impact the momentum of my reading. Yeah, he definitely does a lot of playing around with uh, between limited third person and omniscient third person which i find interesting mm-hmm. i think i think omniscient third person is really underutilized in fantasy although it's very tricky to do right of course uh, mm-hmm. but i i really enjoy the way he switches povs a lot agreed 
I love stories that have multiple POVs. Yeah, it's more, it, it just, it makes the world more rich, the story richer. Yeah. Yeah, the only, the only story that I can read these days that's one POV is uh, Dresden Files, because Harry Dresden is such an interesting character. <laughs> he manages to keep the book somewhat short, at least. Uh, but yeah, uh -huh. generally, multiple POVs is definitely the way to go for fantasy. Yeah, especially epic, epic fantasy, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. So yeah, now can we you imagine Wheel of Time if it was all ran. <laughs> I don't uh. know that one, but oh, yeah, right. I have not read Sanderson or Wheel of Time or any of those epic fantasy stuff. So this is I my first real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've read high fantasy, like adult high fantasy. Like, I guess we'll get into that later. Okay. All right. So moving on to one of our listeners questions, prompts. I'm not sure, too sure what to call this one. Uh, but Mario Ho says in a discussion relating to the complexity of the series and how famously difficult it is to get into. So what is it? Being knowledgeable of the fantasy genre is important for the enjoyment of the series as it subverts fantasy tropes or actually detrimental if you come in expecting clear-cut bad guys, good guys, and plot beats. Obviously, it's not binary, but more often than not, we see people dwelling on the polls, specifically the, oh, don't read this if you don't know fantasy, not for fantasy novices, and the like. In my honest opinion, I didn't trust the series to someone who's read Brothers Karamazov before expecting someone coming in hot from everything Harry Potter to enjoy the reading. Uh, Solution, what do you think about this? Uh, I think it's dense. Uh, I had seen on the subreddit for Art Fantasy that, you know, this is a series that you don't want to go into blindly. And I tried not to. I knew and at a time. I even had a guide that uh, was recommended on the subreddit. And I used that, which for me personally, that helped because it was so dense. And I would have had a difficult time of just not knowing anything because that's not how I normally read fantasy, which is fine. You have to get acclimated to his style. So I just think it's it's very dense and yeah, that's all I got on that one. <laughs> Panda. I could write an essay uh to answer this question. <laughs> and I kinda did in our notes. You definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> um I will try to be concise. So this is what I was getting to where I was saying like I haven't read that much adult epic high fantasy um but i have read adult high fantasy um usually just like the first book of a series i'm not very good at finishing series this series i don't think erickson does anything that's really that unique that it can only be found within the fantasy genre like obviously there are the fa fantasy elements like the magic and you know some of the world building um and warrens and gods and stuff but Sci-fi has a lot of similarities. Um, I think somebody who's really into sci-fi and has read a lot of dense sci-fi, they would probably be totally fine reading this. Um, there are morally gray characters outside of the fantasy genre, like historical fiction, especially like in World War II. Historical fiction, um, contemporary fiction, and thrillers have that too. The writing style is not unique to fantasy. Um, his writing is very economical and efficient. And you can find that in any genre, really. So I don't think that it's saying like, oh, people who haven't read fantasy, like you can't give this book to them to read and they like they will enjoy it. Um, I think it's more of like how experienced the reader is. So back to um, Mario's point, Mario, 
back to Mario's point, like if the, if somebody has read, you know, Brothers Karamazov, however you say that, or like, you know, Infinite Jest, or any Dostoevsky, however you say that name. Dostoevsky. Um, <laughs> yes, that guy. Um, they probably have no problem reading at least Gardens, because I can only say the first book since that's the only book that I've read in the series so far. But, like, I tried to read House of Leaves. I got to page, like, 23. <laughs> I could not continue. Because, one, it was really boring. Which, Gardens is not boring. Like, there's so many things to yeah. keep you going. Um, I read The Three-Body Problem, which I think is more dense than Gardens. So, if people have read that, like, I don't feel like I couldn't recommend Gardens to them. Um, so, yeah, I'll stop there because I could keep going. And if you're interested in hearing more of my thoughts, then join Discord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you could go a lot longer on this, eh? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I really agree. I think I think basically anybody who reads critically wouldn't have a... D terribly difficult time reading gardens whether they enjoyed it or not is another issue anybody who's read history as i said in the the primer episode i think would would have some appreciation for this as well like erickson makes his sentences do a lot of heavy lifting and i think that's where a lot of the difficulty is uh, found these days because like he, he expects you to find so much in the not just the text but the subtext and a lot of writing in fantasy these days is a lot more explicit about what the writer wants you to get out of it um, that it might be a bit jarring when you get to Erickson and then he doesn't it's not really doing that um, but anyways Ian what do you think about this I think you've all kind of hit the nail on the head there when I think about what makes fantasy different than just other reading you know you think of what are the more fantastical elements and so you think of the magic systems and and all the extra powerful preternatural stuff that happens and I'm I'm probably not as well read in fantasy as some people, but you know, I've read major series and I still didn't understand any of that stuff, with this book. So, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> just go for it. That's what I say. I think one of the things that might dissuade some people is the simply the length of the series, right? Because it's a 10 book series. That's massive. Each book is pretty huge. And so I think it's more about if people are conditioned to sink their time into something that big, so maybe not fantasy necessarily, but do you read long series and are you are you ready for something like that? Yeah, I think and that's it's a not good just, point. It's not just ten books, but there's a spin-off series, there's a <laughs> prequel trilogy, and there's a sequel trilogy that's being written right now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All of which are great, by the way, and everyone should read them if you're interested in the uh, Book of the Fallen. But uh, that's a that's a talk for another day. <laughs> one one step at a time here. One step at a time. <laughs> Yeah, I'm only committing to the main series, only the ten books. Yeah, the main. We'll ten see is how I feel one. after that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but to to your point, uh, Ian, like, I think it really does depend on what the reader is getting wants to get out of the book that they're going to read, right? If they just want something like quick, really enjoyable, fast paced, yeah, don't give them gardens. Um, but mm -hmm. if they are open to, if they want something to really sink their teeth into where, you know, it has a lot of reread potential, then I would totally recommend that. Yeah, and his somewhat infamous forward to the Gardens mm. of the Moon that he's written, uh, Erickson makes the point that his books aren't lazy. 
uh, right. which is not meant as a derogatory term to anyone who doesn't want to read it. It's just, it's not like a popcorn book. It's not a turn your brain off and enjoy it kind of thing. Like it's, it's not the Transformers movie of <laughs> books, really. which I love. <laughs> And I'm not ashamed to say I really enjoy the Transformers movie franchise. If you think less of me, well, that's your problem. <laughs> no comment. Yeah, we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would say I did have to pay attention more to my reading. Like I couldn't just, you know, my eyes can't just scan the page and be like, oh, yeah, I read it. I had to actually like, pay attention. Yeah, and, and be willing to go yeah. back and reread parts that you've gone gone through already right i read a lot slower because of all that it was a a longer read than it normally takes me so yeah absolutely same all right what did you like most about erickson's writing style was there anything you didn't like panda we'll start with you yeah so i um mentioned this already the economic and efficiency of his writing he just conveys so much information in very few words and i really appreciate that what i what i didn't like and I brought this up in our chapter by chapter review, he doesn't do romance well, at least not in the first book. And from what you guys have told me, he just doesn't do, that's not his forte. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Although I do have to say, if there are going to be big like plot points that are tied to romance and the romance isn't done well, yeah, I'm not going to like that. I'll let you read and find out on that bit. But yeah, it, it's it's generally acknowledged that romance isn't his strong suit in the series. And I think it's... Like, I have a tough time with romance in general because, I don't know, I'm a guy and I don't have feelings, right? Uh, right, definitely. <laughs> exactly. But, like, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I haven't had many that are written well in fantasy, but I like romance is not something I ever look for. But hey, if if it's if there's a well-written romance, then like, that's cool. That's nice. <laughs> I'm gonna do a little plug here. Uh, we have an upcoming episode that we're gonna be doing about romance and fantasy and sci-fi. Which, Ashamon, I'm gonna challenge you. One of the recommendations we make, you will read it, and then you will let us know your thoughts. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Ian, let us know what you think. I really like his dialogue, honestly. For some reason, and I'm not sure why, dialogue is something that just draws me into books. When it comes to like movies, right? You always have the the, the common phrase "show don't tell," and and I agree with that with for the most part. But for some reason, for books, I love exposition in books. Like once characters start having a big conversation, <laughs> I am in, and I love the dialogue that he does here. And what he does a really good job is using that with little witticisms and things and somehow he creates really good relationships between his characters through through that dialogue like you had mentioned that it feels like a lived-in world and in the same you know extrapolating from that i think that the characters feel like they've lived full lives right you feel that with the way that they speak to each other and the way they talk to each other and you feel like yeah they've had this relationship for for years and you're just jumping into the middle of it i agree the bridge burner buddies like once when you first meet them and there's you just feel that history that they have yeah i agree camaraderie yeah Mm -hmm. even with the jerujistan crew i think Mm -hmm. one of the big strengths 
that drew me into the book was just you know the the friendships that they had even though they were all very different people they'd right. all meet together at the pub and and have a drink and and you mm. you felt that and i liked that a lot yeah yeah they definitely cared about each other which was something to see like after you go from the bridge burners and we see this this different crew and then they were just similar in the same way that they all cared about each other but i didn't expect it that fast i thought mm. it'd be like oh he crocus would get to know slowly a couple people it's like no he's already like best buds with all these guys and they're, they're really looking out for each other yep yeah absolutely and and characters also in my opinion uh they develop new relationships in a very organic and like excellent way i like there's there's one interaction in particular i'm thinking about um and also these books are funny with the dialogue right like <laughs> Yes. It's not yeah. often talked about, or maybe it is, and I just haven't been paying attention, but like <laughs> the military humor, the exchanges between friends is always like, and, and the physical comedy is, it's all, it's done so well. And, mm. and Krupp, when he started first talking, I was like, what am I reading? What is going <laughs> and I was in, like, I was like, this is great. Yeah. I had you to would guess a couple now. pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, do you have any more thoughts? Um, you know, when I saw this question, I had a bullet point where I I didn't really have an opinion, I guess. I, I put down I didn't want to need a guide because I don't like dense writing usually. And I felt like I almost needed that guide and it was there for me, which is cool. But on second thought, after hearing Ian point out the dialogue, I realized that that was probably the best part of me and his writing style that I can definitely take note of is that these characters are like icebergs and we're seeing the tip of the iceberg and that's what's it feels really cool to see that there's there's elements that are down below that we're not really getting yet but they're being hinted at and we can see all that through the dialogue which is really cool yeah i like that iceberg idea that's good it's a good visual that is a great metaphor yeah Yeah. (laughs) all right did you have any notable difficulties with gardens of the moon uh ian notable yeah like i said some there's just some things that i just didn't understand very nebulous ideas that I just kind of had to let wash over me. Like, I just don't understand the idea of Warrens. I still don't. Like, are they, they're different realms, but are they places like that are habitated? Do people live in these Warrens? Are they just places that people get trapped in? How is it that we're drawing power from them? There's a whole bunch of ideas there that I just kind of lost. I'm not really sure. And so sometimes he throws details in there that I just plain catch up with. Mm-hmm. Ash, um, do we want to stick this in the spoiler section or keep it in the non-spoiler section? So far, I think it's fine to keep it in the non-spoiler section. But I will say I, I, I'm going to address your uh, questions about Warrens, I think, in the spoiler section, if that's all right, Ian. Perfect. Okay, cool. Because cool. I think it would just make, yeah, help clarify with things. Uh, so notable difficulties really just, I felt like I didn't need a guide or I, I wouldn't have wanted a guide so that was my only thing but it's just we already talked about it being dense and that's all i really had to say about that other than that no real difficulties people let me know going in what was it going to be and that's kind of what it was so yeah i think i think setting expectations right is a huge factor in enjoying this series for what it is i think that's right. it and it's a really good point uh panda chapter 11 there was a particular section that i did have to read multiple times and we did talk through in our chapter by chapter review. And there was a lot of really cool stuff happening. It's just, there were also a lot of 
uh, new concepts introduced. And so that did take some time to parse through. Um, I would say, I don't know if this would necessarily be categorized as a difficulty, but it's something that I think is important to know going in is when you start reading this book, you're going to want to talk to other people about what you're reading. <laughs> and that could be a really good thing um, because it makes the reading experience more rich and um, interactive. Um, the trouble is, you know, finding people maybe uh, that you're comfortable <laughs> with to have these conversations. And with that, I definitely invite anyone listening to come and join us on Discord to um, have those conversations because that's what we're here for, really. Um, and we're hopefully you would find us very fun and open and comfortable to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Discord's a great place. And we over at Ericsson always love newcomers. Uh, I, shepherding new people through the series is a, one of my great joys in life, it seems. <laughs> um, especially because when I was reading the series, I didn't have a group of people to talk to about it. I was just a nerdy kid in high school, trying my best to figure out things on my own. And while I think that experience definitely has some merit to it, and I don't regret that I didn't have people to talk to, I think that having a group around you is adds a lot to the experience. All right. Uh, now we're getting on to the general comments or criticisms that we're going to be focusing on our non-spoiler talk. So if you guys have anything you want to bring up, uh, just now is the time. Uh, Sol. Uh, actually, I wrote down what you just talked about. It being a buddy read is what made this <laughs> so enjoyable to me because I was bullied by uh, Yasna and Lady Sweden into picking up this book uh, at the beginning of the year. I was like, okay, I'll just do it. And then I was keeping pace with you guys and I decided to just fly past everybody and just go all the way through. So while a lot of you guys <laughs> were still like in the first couple of chapters, I was near the end and I was still using the discord and it was really fun to just post and people would just help me out because I know I didn't want to spoil you guys because you guys weren't there yet, but they, they were really helpful. So it was really fun. Yeah. And you better be giving us good questions for the rest of the series now. Eh? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Panda. Yeah. I don't think I have that much to add. Um, with all the things that I've said. Cool. Ian? I will say that I found Gardens of the Moon to be an easier read than I thought it was going to be. Because you kind of, you hear things about the series and you look at the covers of the book because I think you're supposed to judge books by the cover. That's how it goes, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you kind of see it as like this Stygian dark almost you almost think of this to be like a nihilistic type of series that's going to be really hard to to get into and and grow with but it's not there's there's a actually a pretty big focus on humanity and a real like there's characters that have moral codes that have a sense of right there's characters that are a whole lot of fun like this is like you had mentioned before they intersperse a whole bunch of humor throughout um and i yeah, and it's a good read. It's not that it's not slow. It's quick pace, like we talked about. And I was very pleasantly surprised with what it turned out to be. Yeah, I agree that it's not uh, Gardens of the Moon is a lot of the times overhyped for how difficult it is. Um, we have like people talk about how it it like 
this is the the, the tip top of epic fantasy in, in terms of complexity and difficulty. Uh, and I, I I don't really agree that that's the case. I it is more difficult and requires more work than a lot of books, but it's not like this is going to be reading Ulysses. Like generally, there are words on the page that make sense and enjoyable things that happen throughout the story that keep you engaged. Uh, so I think a lot of people probably get scared off from the series that probably would enjoy it if they went into it with the right mindset and with the right energy. Uh, and I think I think uh, we as Malazan creators should uh, emphasize more on the more welcoming aspects of these series. <clears throat> You're going to say something? I do. Yeah, I do reserve the right to backtrack anything I say from this in this episode <laughs> after I've read more books in the series. Um, I have started Dead House Gates. I would say like the the reading experience is a bit different uh, between Gardens and Dead House Gates. So I'm just gonna put that out there, like because I've only fully read the first book. These are like my first impressions uh, of the first book of the series. We'll see how it goes with the rest of the series. But the other thing is criticism. I did think of one. Um, Ian, you mentioned the cover. The cover of the book, I think, is not very welcoming, as you mentioned. Also, I really wish that there were more, <laughs> like, trade paperback uh, mm. sizes of these books. Like, because I like to take notes... Um, you know, annotate as I'm reading. Having to go through the mass paperback with like you know a thousand pages or whatever, that's going to be very difficult. Um, so that's my criticism: is please reprint these in more manageable size. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's not bad. You yeah, this one. Wait till you get to the bigger books, or wait, you mm -hmm. have the bigger books. Look, they're all right there. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, it's a big okay. stack. That, that they're a bit chunky for sure. <laughs> I I actually that that is that is that reminds me of something I wanted to bring up. So Gardens of the Moon feels different from the rest of the series for a very good reason. First of all, Erickson originally conceived this as a screenplay, which he tried to shop around to Hollywood producers and failed to, so he converted it into a book. Uh, the second is that he wrote Gardens of the Moon about ten years before he read the next book in the series, despite them being published very close together. So during that 10 years he grew enormously as a writer in my opinion and opinions of many people in the community um which is why dead house gates has a lot of a different feel to it, it it's also just i think generally a darker book but yeah you know, it's, i That's think it's what important I'm getting. yeah yeah yep. <laughs> <laughs> i think I, I would say that dead house gates is probably the the most dark I, in this series really? not necessarily the, the most like that it's, it's it's the one with the darkest moments but i think okay. it's the tone the tone is more consistently dark mm -hmm. in, in in dead house gates as opposed to following books although like they all tend to get pretty heavy at times ash i have a question for you do you think that gardens could be read as a standalone i would not recommend it um could it be read as a standalone? If you were to, if it was edited a bit differently, I think yes. Because there is such a setup for the next books and the world building happens in a way that you don't understand everything 
when you just read gardens. I, I, I really wouldn't recommend it. I don't think anybody who enjoys gardens would want to read it just as a standalone because it is the weakest of the series in a lot of people's opinions, including mine. Uh, but I think, I think it could be feasible. <laughs> yeah, I, you could definitely stop with gardens and have a story that would be satisfying, in my opinion, if you just want to focus on Darugistan, for example. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, Sol, do you have any thoughts before we move into spoilers? Uh, nope, I'm ready. You're ready. Okay, yeah. <laughs> everybody, this is the spoiler warning. If you proceed back past this point, be prepared to have the entire book spoiled for you without warning at any point. So uh, we'll just get into it. Our uh, lovely lady Sweden asks, if you could ask Erickson one thing about Gardens of the Moon, what would it be? Um, Panda. Yeah, I kind of blanked, uh, honestly, on this one. The thing that I came up with, it's not really going to be a spoiler for anything. It's just what, when he was writing this, like, or even now, what does he want to be remembered for? I mean, the gardens was the beginning of this gigantic world. Like, what does he want his legacy to be? I think reading the rest of the series will answer that question for you. Oh, okay. That's, that's my hot take of the episode. Only <laughs> <Yeah>. hot take? <laughs> my only hot take. That's the only one. <laughs> uh, Ian, do you have anything? What the heck is a finist? Ah, <laughs> finist. Yes. They, okay. they went over this in the Discord. I remember this. Yeah, and we went over in chapter by chapter review. So make sure to check out the last episode if we uh, if you haven't. But in in short, a finist is a magic battery that um, race okay. magical essence was put into essentially. And okay. also, I forgot uh, your question about the Warrens. Basically, Warrens oh, they good. are extra dimensional spaces some of which are inhabited some of which aren't and you can draw power from them just because they have extra energy floating around generally it's like not super clear on how that process works because mm-hmm. erickson does prefer soft magic over hard magic um but essentially yeah warren is just another place with different laws um some of the warrens look nothing like our world some of them are pretty similar and so it's sort of like is it sort of like the uh the superman gets his powers from our yellow sun because he's from a red sun i wonder if it's something similar to that right we draw from energy from one world because it's different from ours it's more power or from theirs it's more powerful that's what i'm going with that's are you gonna wrap that's i think that's <laughs> a fair way to think of it but i yeah you, warren's definitely get explained more in okay. later books especially okay. in memories of ice so pay attention okay. for that <laughs> so uh, what was the question? Sorry. <laughs> uh, what would you ask Erickson about Gardens of the Moon? Okay, right. I was really angry when this scene happened. I think it was like halfway through the book. And they killed Talk the Younger. And I refuse to believe he's dead. And I don't know why he would do this to me. Because this is what happened. I finished the first book. And then they said, okay, the second book kind of takes place. Something like that. Okay, so I read the second book. And I can't say anything about it. And I, I just want to know in the first book. Why would you kill Talk the Younger? That was my, that was my main thing that really that really made me angry, and I just I didn't want him to die because I was just starting to really like him. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's the only character. thing. Yeah, uh, with you. Have, yeah, I have no comments on this. Okay. I refuse to believe that Talk is dead. He's he not. can't be. No, you no. don't. You don't send somebody in a portal the way he did and have him close the warrant, and it's like a different place. It's like no, he's got to come back. I know he's got to come back. Just yeah, don't know when. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when or why or how. 
<laughs> it's like the like the legendarium podcast always says if you don't see the brain matter you can't That's assume true. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> also just, I, not say it I feel i feel the need to inform readers of one more thing about gardens of the moon and deadhouse gates so originally when he was writing the sequel to gardens of the moon it was going to be memories of ice but uh, i think when, when he was very significantly into it or he was finished with it he lost all of his data on memories of ice and had to start the book completely over and he was oh, like, yeah. I can't do nope. this. <laughs> so yep. he instead switched to doing it Deadhouse Gates first. And uh-huh. in retrospect, he he likes that he did it that way because this series is one where you're jumping around to a lot of different places. And he does it later on, especially in book five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a new cast of characters, new, new continent, basically. And uh, this was basically a good way to set readers up for that expectation. But uh, yeah, I just want to want everyone to think about how heartbreaking it would be to have all of your writing for an entire book lost. Let's do it all over again. I think that really kind of just shows his character, like as a person, Mm -hmm. he's um, he persevered. (laughs) (laughs) He picked himself back up and he tried again. (laughs) Yeah, like props to Erickson for doing that. Honestly, I I would be so sad. <laughs> well, well, if he didn't, uh, then did Panda's have... question about uh, about whether or not this is a good standalone would be the reality. <laughs> if he didn't keep <laughs> yeah. going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, we did have, so Huron and um, Yasna is not on this episode, but um, they also did have answers for Lady Sweden's question. Um, I think Kieran just wants to interview Erickson, like do a whole full-on interview. He wrote so yeah, many like questions. Five questions. <laughs> um, but some of them were like, which gar- which gardens character did Erickson find easiest to write, and which ones were the most difficult? Um, why were there Garden of the Moon isms that are not included in later books, uh, such as the Bone Phone? which I believe, as Yesna pointed out, is coined by 10 Very Big Books, uh, the, the podcast. He also, Huron would also ask, like, what part of the world building was already done from the RPG and which ones did he have to make up as he wrote? And also, what was his edis- editing process like? Did he ever take criticisms from the editing process personally? Or how does he handle that? So those would be really interesting questions to um, get answers to. I don't know if, Ash, you know answers to any of them. Okay, so I, I have I have one answer, and I think, well, okay, I think I have two answers and one, uh, one comment. So I think the Gardens of the Moon character he had the most difficult to writing initially was Anamander Rake. Mm. Because Anamander Rake, I believe, was initially a POV character. And he realized that he couldn't do Anamander Rake oh. that way because he's hundreds of thousands of years old. And how would he write from the perspective of someone who's hundreds of thousands of years old? Erickson mm-hmm. is not 100,000 years old right. or but, as powerful but, as many days. <laughs> but so is um, Tool, <laughs> right? Right. But you don't you don't get into Tool's head and see what his thoughts are. You just see his comments on what's going on, right? Okay. Sort of like Anamander. Right. Good point. Um, uh, what world is already done? I 
I would like to go through Erickson's entire catalog and ask him specifically, which of this was gamed? I know a few things, but I'm so curious. I want to know everything. Um, now, as for how he responds to criticism, Erickson, I think, is good at taking criticism he feels is valid and completely disregards that which he doesn't feel is valid. And he, in fact, wrote, I think, an entire essay on on the subject that you can probably find somewhere where he basically decides he's had enough of people making bad criticism of his work. <laughs> so he's just going to write an essay and set them all straight. Uh, which it's a sparks very healthy a whole... approach. Yeah, I, I really like it. Uh, mm. I, I Authors have a tendency to put their work out there and then never respond to criticism. And or respond th- very poorly. <laughs> or respond very poorly. And I think there's a lot of space in the culture to have more of a dialogue on books and their criticisms between authors and the audience. Like, obviously, if an author isn't interested in that, then that's fine. But for people like Erickson, I love the idea of him expounding on decisions, defending his defending certain ones that he made that might have been controversial. <clears throat> I think it plays it raises very interesting questions for death of the author which he has written another essay about on his mm. blog if you guys are interested uh, okay yeah that's 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 all i have to say about those things okay um and then Yesna, his question was how would you write the as finest sequence differently if you wrote it today or would you leave it as is and i think that's i actually have the same question too because we talked about this in our chapter by chapter review it was pretty much just kind of thrown in at the end. Uh, and it was very, it felt very much like just set up. Uh, one comment there, and if you read the his, his forward to Gardens of the Moon, you probably already got this. Uh, he hasn't addressed this criticism specifically, but what people have asked him about revisions, and his mm. answer is he doesn't know where he would start. He doesn't know where he <laughs> would change. <laughs> Rewrote Gardens of the Moon. Yeah. That's totally <laughs> understandable. Yeah. I mean, he already wrote one book twice, so. That's true. <laughs> That's at least what he wants to do. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. What was the most surprising part of the book for you, uh, Ian? I think it was Tattersail, right? When she died or, or whatever happened there. Because, A, it was in a weird place in the book. It was kind of just thrown in the middle. And it wasn't even it wasn't even like the end of a chapter. It was like in the middle of a chapter somewhere. And she was a, established as a pretty main character up until then. Mm-hmm. And so when she gets into that fight with Zabella Dan, and I'm like, what what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and then of course you think you think, well, of course, some something would have happened to save her, but then who is it that ends up finding her again? I can't, is it Perrin or Perrin? I'm just yeah. I'm a little unclear. Yeah, he ends up finding mm-hmm. her in the in the desert again, and that was surprising because I was not expect I was expecting her to hang around for a while. And I'm a George R. R. Martin fan, and I was taken taken aback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tattersail's death was also pretty surprising to me, uh, but I really like where he goes with it. I like the concept of character being reborn, and well, well you'll have to see what Silver Fox get ups to later. <laughs> Asshole. Um, well, I already mentioned Talk the Younger. I was a little taken aback that uh, I don't believe he's dead. Uh, but mostly, I think 
the surprising thing to me was that uh sword dragnipper i think that's how you say it mm-hmm. um that it enslaves people for however long eternity i thought that was very surprising it was a cool use of a sword that's kind of i guess connected to a warren or something i'm not really sure how it works but i thought that was really it took that that's what took me back i was like okay that was really cool nice it's a creepy yeah. scene yeah mm-hmm. dragnipper is a horrifying fate um which in my opinion raises some questions about the morality of anamander rake but that's a, that's a talk for another time <laughs> um as for your questions about the nature of dragonpur uh you'll have to read find out okay Amanda. um yeah i'm i was both of what you guys said ian and so those were surprising i think specifically for me that part in chapter 11 was just it was just nothing i was not expecting it <laughs> So that was the most surprising. Yeah. After that, can you just I... clarify? Oh, like, okay. Sorry, yeah. Can you just clarify? Chapter eleven, yeah. Chapter by chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So it was the whole Krupp's dream, and there was the silver, silver fox, and Kroll was there, and mm-hmm. Tattersail basically gets reborn into this child that's also a soul taken. Maybe. Still not a hundred percent sure. Um. But I think it was just after reading that scene, I was like, all right, anything goes. Like, I'm just so open-minded. <laughs> Everything else that comes after, I'm just going to be like, yep, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm going to add that I really appreciate how Erickson does magic in some unexpected ways in this series. Uh, like you mentioned, like, anything goes. Now, he draws on a lot of different cultural practices uh, vis-a-vis magic. Uh, see, and you definitely see that. There's a lot of non-standard magical things that characters do. Like Quick Ben uses a lot of uh, props when he's doing magic, uh, which you don't see very much of nowadays. And there, there's a lot of very shamanistic vibes to some characters' magic use. And just things that you don't get to see very often and seem very creative, uh, which I appreciate. And being open like how he traps Hairlock into a wooden puppet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is just a creepy image. Like, mm-hmm. Just picture a Chucky doll running yeah. around all the walls. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Great. Now I have that imagery in my head. <laughs> that's, that's not what you thought as soon as that happened? No! <laughs> okay. I thought it was like I'm sorry. a faceless little wooden marionette kind of we, thing. Yeah, and but I'm going to instantly Chucky. go with it. Yeah. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, I think to Ash's point, like when when we're reading like Western fantasy, I would say, yeah, we don't see as much of what we see in guard well, at least in gardens. Um, but I think if we expand to you know, when you were talking about the different cultures, when we expand to like Eastern or like more native fantasy, magic real magical realism, that kind of stuff. Um, we would see more of those elements, and it is really cool how he pulls from those to to incorporate that into his Western fantasy. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, it's very much a melting pot series, mm-hmm. and he he does. I think it's very made very much stronger for the inclusion that he has. Mm-hmm. Not just magic, by the way, inclusion across the board because his characters they only really care what race you are. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't care what gender you are. Power mm-hmm. is power in this world, and that's what people pay attention to, which yeah. is refreshing. 
Uh, okay, if you could pick any character to go on an adventure with in Malazan, who would you pick and why? Talk the um, younger, because he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not dead. So <laughs> I'd probably go with Callum myself, because it seems like he can deal with any situation, so I'd probably be safe with him. But he also seems like a good guy to, to go for a beer with at the end of the day and hang out with. Quick Ben, again, you'd feel pretty safe with him, but he's also a little weird. <laughs> with the things that he's into. Yeah. yeah, Quick Ben is one of those guys who plays his cards so close to his chest that he doesn't tell his friends what's going on. So you just want to punch yeah. him sometimes. <laughs> it's like, dude, trust people. Come on. I've been friends for years. I would love to have, like, t- tavern buddies, Callum and Fiddler. I think they would be great. Oh, and Fiddler. Um, yeah, I I did put Quickbin uh, for my adventure buddy because he's really powerful and could get us out of any trouble in a pinch. And he's ballsy. Um, but yes, he he is more close, close, plays his card close to the, his heart, I think is what Ash said. Um, but I also put Trots. Um, he's giant and can probably <laughs> get work pretty easily, you know, just like being a bodyguard or security guard uh and he can protect me yeah i don't know how well he can carry conversations but (laughs) probably i mean if you got a lot to say then he's perfect (laughs) (laughs) okay yes i have a lot to say thank you (laughs) i would this is difficult for me because i like so many characters but and there is one character later on that would be hands down my favorite for this question but for gardens of the moon specifically I think I'd probably pick Tool because I just oh, find him so funny. That's a great. And also, he, he doesn't need a sleep. He's been alive for oh. a long time, so he's seen it all. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, he doesn't talk too much. He'll never get annoying, and he's <laughs> uber capable in the combat department. Oh, great pick! Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> think? Do you think he would be a little too? Uh, oh, what's the word? Ah. Indifferent. Not if you're his friend. Okay. Yeah, because he can he can be quite the cuddle bear. Oh, is that coming up in the next few books then? <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I was oh. like, mm, what? he's a bit bony for physical cuddles, but for emotional cuddles, he's great. Cool. Mm. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Favorite moments in the story, everyone. I'll go. Okay. Um, Rake changing into a dragon. Um, like there were a lot of really cool things and really like touching things that happen. But when I was coming into gardens, there was at least this thing that I knew there were going to be dragons and I wanted to see them. Mm-hmm. And we did see dragons before this with, you know, them fighting race in the desert, but rake, the description of rake changing into a dragon. I was like, yes. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, Erickson does a lot of creative things in the series, but like you gotta have dragons in epic fantasy, right? Like everyone does it. Mm. <laughs> you just can't. Is that, you can't is that, that something? <laughs> is that something that Rake can do? Is that something that all Tistandi can do? <clears throat> it is something that. Uh, okay, Rake is a soul taken. Or... Okay. Uh, so oh, that's why. Okay, his soul taken form is that of a dragon. Oh, right. 
So you'll learn more about that later, but mm -hmm. it's not something every Tist Andy yeah, can do. Sense. No Tist Andy. Okay. Ian, your favorite moment. Oh boy. Um, I don't know that I've got one. There's some, some scenes that are more abiding than others, I would say. Uh, I think right off the bat, when uh, Shadow Throne and what's the other guy's name? Oh, I cannot remember. Cotillion. Yeah, Cotillion and Shadow Throne. When they first meet Sori and then they send the hounds off down the road, that image just sticks with me, right? They're going off to do who knows what. Yeah. I really like the scene between Paran and Cole because Cole suddenly opens up as this like very interesting character who was normally just the drunk guy whose head was on the table all the time. Uh, Tool's arrival was super creepy. <laughs> just that image of him rising <laughs> out of the ground all of a sudden. Um, yeah, so I, I think yeah. there's there's lots, lots of scenes like that that just kind of linger with me. Oh, and the boat scene. <laughs> the scene where they're trying to drag <laughs> the boat without, put, without putting it in the water first. Yeah, that's a, that's a great scene of physical comedy, in my opinion. And actually... Yeah. I was going to bring up the Cole and Peran scene as an episode of one of the quick relationships that feel very, very organic and very well deserved. Um, yeah. Because you get to see their entire relationship. Peran walks in and Cole and him have a, like a frank, honest talk about where they are in their lives. And it feels so genuine because like everyone's had that experience right? where you're just like sitting down with a stranger and you get way too deep into talking about your lives. Mm -hmm. And then mean like um, us yeah <laughs> soul hit me with it okay um i think i'll go with the small scene because i do like hole as well and i do like tools arrival but i, I think the, the favorite funny scene for me was fiddler with his sword in the puddle getting <laughs> called out because that's the first time i i dropped the book and i just laughed really hard because it was just perfect that's it. I'll, I'll go with the funny scene. Yeah. Fiddler on the roof. Fiddler on the roof. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I really liked when we got to have Raced coming out of the, the barrow because he's just so cool when he does it. I mean, he's very dramatic about it, and I like people who are unironically dramatic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, okay. General spoilery thoughts on the book. What would you rate it? I give it five. Out of? Five. Oh, okay. Okay. Ah, thought that was out of ten for a moment. It just... <laughs> no, it's only five stars out of ten. Um, it's not perfect. Uh, as if you've listened to the chapter by chapter, you'll hear some of my criticisms. Um, but I really appreciate the thought that went into the how intentional the writing was. I had a really good time, and you know, part of it is not just the book itself, but it's like the reading experience that I had, and. The other thing is, like, there's so much to talk about. Like, we've spent, I don't know, six hours going chapter by chapter talking about, you know, this one book. And we can definitely talk, go on and on and on and on. So yeah. there's just... Uh, <laughs> um, I, I see the appeal. And I think it's worth five stars. Okay. Got nowhere to go but down now. <laughs> Yeah, on the weakest, what's regarded as what the weakest entry in the series. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see your thoughts on the next books. Uh, yeah, what would I rate it? I guess four, four and a half. 
you can go halves, I guess. Um, I think that it's a very strong entry into like my personal fantasy canon. I guess I, I really, I'm really liking the series so far. I have read the next few books. I'm on book four right now, uh, but I, I'm really liking it. The world building is fantastic. The characters, though, are what are drawing me in. There's just so many great characters that I'm not necessarily relating to, but they feel like fully formed characters to me, and that's usually what I look for in a story. I don't know if it has that X factor that like bumps it up to to a five star for me, but but I don't know. Maybe if I go back and read, I'll I'll change do a reread of it. I'll change my mind on that. And I think it's well paced, like we had said before, and really strong. Yeah, I think it's a really strong book. I don't know. That's nice. a pretty general explanation, but no, I think it's good. Um, I, I guess I will say one it. more. Yeah, you go. <laughs> I was just gonna say I do. I do think it does a really good job of capturing sense of place and a sense of mood. I guess I think some of the best books mm. leave you with a feeling of a unique mood that that books has, and I think that this book does that really well. I agree. Yeah, I like the tone. And I like, I like you said, the camaraderie is what really makes it for me. Um, I'll rate it a little bit lower than you guys, just because for me, it was a little too dense for me. Or I guess I'm getting used to it because I actually read the second book because I, was, I really <laughs> want to know what happened. And uh, I actually like that one more. Uh, I'd give this one like... I agree. I agree. Dead House Gates. Very good. Um, I'll give this one like a 75 out of 100. Uh, like a good reads four. Like I would not rate this a five in my opinion for me. I know some, I could see where some people would, but it's just not my type of book. That'd be that X factor. Like Ian said, that's a five for me. Um, but like a good reads four, which is not like a good reads two or something, but yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah, I give it like a 75. We'll, we'll go with 75 out of hundred, a better scale. Personally, I always really struggle with, ratings because i have such a hard time ascribing a numerical value on something that i enjoy mm-hmm. but like it's like an eight or nine out of ten two thumbs up i recommend a okay ashman stamp of approval <laughs> that's that's what i give it i guess <laughs> like he, he definitely comes into his own later in the series and you really get to see he, he makes his he he has a very specific goal in mind when he's writing this series, which mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate. And rereading, I can see um, definite signs of what that goal is. And he's trying to make a very specific point with these books, or many specific points, but one above all. And I think he does this possibly better than any other fantasy series I've read. Like the only the only I can think of maybe one or two other series with as strong intent behind it as this one. One would be A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, because George R. R. Martin has said that he thinks the only thing worth writing about is the conflict within the human heart. And if you read A Song of Ice and Fire, that's all those books are about. And he gets that across very well. Um, the one that I would maybe put here is Stormlight Archive, mm-hmm. um, which is a big focus on self-improvement and becoming a better person from a very flawed place and has it that damaged people are still worthy of they can still do incredible things um but yeah erickson's take on 
on the themes of the series, I think are almost unparalleled. And while Gardens isn't the strongest book in the series, I would rate it as the lowest for me. I, like it's hard for me to emphasize how much I enjoy this series mm-hmm. um, for a lot that's of fair. reasons. I mean, that that's a really good thing. Like for me to hear that, you know, the first book is not the strongest in the series. Like it gets better from here on, right? Hmm. Like because, and I do, I do have two different rating systems. Like there's a Goodreads rating system, and then there's a different one, which. Um, I do rate it as a nine um, out of ten. The the potential, like knowing that it gets better, it just makes me want to read more. You know, so that that bodes well. It does bode well. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot to talk about. Um, Okay, finally, and some of you won't be able to participate in this. uh, Predictions for later books, Ian. You're probably a bit too far ahead for this one i think <laughs> although if you have yeah yeah, yeah. yeah because i've <laughs> read four already so i'm i'll okay. kind of know where it goes from there but i i like where it goes from there i would say if i was if i was to answer this question after i read the first book um i you know i don't even know if i could <laughs> i just i'm just kind of i'm just willing to let the book take me wherever it goes i'm good with it so you've read dead house gates but Yes, like I stopped the story. there because I knew you guys wanted me on here. So not too far in yet. Okay. Yeah. So you, you got to you got to make some good predictions, I think, because we don't have the story in Genovacus and in Dead Host case, at least right. to any significant extent. Right. Different content for the most part. Um, I mean, honestly, it's it's more of like what Ian said. I really don't know where it's going to go. We have this almost feels like a, this tenuous thing with Darugistan now and the bridge burners. And I, I don't know, like, are they, what, what are they going to do in that place? Because I do want one small nitpick is that uh, Fiddler and, and the gang put up these bombs in the city that they knew going in that had this, like, gas system with all these lights. And they were like, oh, no, we can't blow this place up because it's going to blow up the whole city. Like, you guys are like engineers. You guys would know that before you put them in. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> they're, they're saving the city now. And I have no idea what they're going to do with it. But I feel like that's definitely going to play a part in something and whether we got rake involved in it maybe i don't know so i think those two maybe would do something but that's it yeah i actually i i do have that that is my nitpick with the book as well although not exactly what you said <laughs> they set off some bombs and they never have those bombs go off <laughs> which it just feels like teasing to me i like yeah out like there's that famous alfred hitchcock scenario where you have he posits two scenarios, one where two men are talking, and suddenly goes off, and that's not very satisfying. And then one scenario where you show the bomb, and then you show the two men talking, and then it creates tension for the rest of the rest of the scene. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Erickson was deliberately referencing that with showing us a bomb and then showing us the bomb not going off. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah, we thought maybe. it was going to go off. And then, there. Just, no. He's not yeah. Michael Bay. It's not Michael Bay. Uh, I'll take no. that. No Transformers in Malism, please. <laughs> I mean, if Michael Bay were doing this, those bombs would have gone off. Gone every gone chapter the entire city would have blown up. Yeah. <laughs> Panda, what do you think? Okay. So at the end of Gardens, uh, basically, Dujek is no longer part of the Empire. Um, and Whiskey Jack and the Bridge Burner Buddies are 
basically outlaws. Given that, and like the seven cities are like on the brink of rebellion, basically, I think, here's my prediction. Lacine is going to lose control of the empire. I think that the northern part, because there's that reference to the seer, the pan, panion seer. Panion seer, yeah. Um, mm. In the south, and some sort of genocide happening. Um, I think the north part of the world will band together to fight the panion seer, maybe. Or it could be that they're just going to be so disorganized and very self-interested and they're all just going to die. There's that too. Excellent. Uh, Yeah, okay. Before we go, does anybody have any closing thoughts? I'm I'm pumped. I'm ready. I've already started Dead House Gates and I'm very excited for our first episode uh, of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't what I would say is don't be don't be scared by the the length or the fact that it looks too dark or overbearing. I would say if you're thinking about it and you know you have you have some inkling of what it's about, I would say give it a go. At least try Gardens of the Moon, and then if you're hooked, then great. Yeah, and listen to all our episodes on it, even if you haven't read the series and don't plan to. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. might be a little confusing, but uh, it's, okay. it's worth it. I don't know. <laughs> let's let's ask Little Red since she's she's listened to all the episodes, but she's yeah, not she read the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come come to for the amazing chemistry between the cast members of the podcast. Don't don't worry about yeah, actually content. understanding what's going yeah, on. It okay. <laughs> all right, uh, that concludes our discussion for this episode. It's not too late to join in a read along in the Lanson series. Uh, in the next episode, we will be covering Dead House Gates from the beginning through Chapter 6, or Book 1. Feel free to pop in on the discussions we're having in the Legendarium's Discord. You can find the link on thelegendarium.com. Also, follow us on Twitter, at GreenTeamPod. Shout out to Horizon Brave for starting it all. Big thank you to all of our panelists, The Solution, Red Army Ian, and Befuddled Panda. I'm Ashaman. Till next time. Pew pew.